I'm Matt Booker. I'm Dave Laird. And I'm Esther J. Cepeda, here to remind you that if you cut a small notch in the center of your toenail's edge, it won't ingrow as you're out there traversing the great concavity. Great. Oh, I don't yeah. think we'll ever run out of these intro lines, will we? We'll have no, like no. an infinite amount <laughs> that's, of them. That's the thing. There's there's too much data to uh, there's too much material to draw from that I think we're gonna be okay. Maybe episode like three thousand. Someone <laughs> would repeat one. I don't know. I would we'll be delighted if you guys got to episode three thousand. <laughs> I would listen to them all. I will be two hundred and ninety four years old. Yeah, yeah. We'll <laughs> Today, see how far medical technology gets us in the next forty years here. Hey Matt. Yeah, that, that would be something. Um, <laughs> Esther, welcome to episode 42. It's so great to have you. Thanks for joining us. Thank, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure. We um, we think of you kind of as maybe our most enthusiastic um, fan, person engaging <laughs> with us on Twitter and other places. Scary uh, stalker is what you're saying, right? <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> No, not, not at all. Not at okay, all. Okay, good. Okay, good. I am really just enthusiastic. <laughs> <laughs> I love the things I love with great passion. Mm. Well, we I love think, that. I think we all you. have that in common, right? The three of us. Seems, oh, totally. Seems to be a trait that, that's brought us all here this evening. Yeah. <laughs> From Austin, Chicago, and Victoria. Absolutely. Cool. So episode 42, Esther, it's great to have you. Your name was mentioned last episode. I mispronounced your last name and Matt corrected me. Oh, that's okay. Everybody (laughs) mispronounces it. Oh, okay. My own husband calls me Esther J. Potato. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Well, that's all right then. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's fine. I feel less awful. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, for those of you who don't know who Esther is, Esther is uh, primarily your main day job is that you are a journalist. So maybe walk us through a bit of that. And um, I mean, obviously, our the guy we talk about here, David Foster Wallace, did some journalism. So that'll be something we cover tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to talk a bit about what it's like to read Wallace as more of a fan reader than from a scholarship perspective um, and any other kind of pop culture things that, that come to mind um, at this present cultural moment we find ourselves in with Wallace and, and mm-hmm. other things. So give us a bit of a, about your background, Esther. What brings you to the show here? So I have been uh, just an incredible reader and a lover of reading journalism for my entire life. Like Mm -hmm. we always had newspapers in the house. So growing up, I really wanted to be a Sun-Times journalist. And um, I was that weirdo kid who was like maybe 10 years old and would sit on Sunday mornings and watch the McLaughlin group and watch uh, Meet the Press. And I thought, oh, I want to grow up and do that. I want to be in, you know, in the Washington Post or whatever. So mm-hmm. my parents were like, uh-uh, no, you, you got to get a marketing degree or something. So you're not going to be a writer, much <laughs> less a reporter. So um, hmm. I did do that. And then um, I was actually at home after having my first child. And I just started like writing prolific letters to the editor. <laughs> and the first time, so this was till sometimes, the first time I got my letter published, I was like, whoa, this is it. This is like the, you know, this is the thing. You've been and immortalized. Then, 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. I was like, I can do this. And actually, I did start writing op-eds for the Chicago Sun-Times. I actually ended up being a reporter at the Chicago (laughs) Sun-Times. I wheedled my editors until they gave me a column just to shut me up. And um, I did that for a couple of years. And then, of course, the newspaper industry immediately started tanking. And I started Mm -hmm. writing a blog after, um, you know, a round of layoffs and buyouts and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And uh, I had been pitching my column to national syndicates for probably two years at that point. And surely enough, the Washington Post writers group said, hey, you know, are you interested in your writing your column? And I said, yes, thank you. So I got <laughs> on with them in 2010. And I'm on my like, oh, I want to say my 915th column with them. Wow. And wow. Um, yeah, so I write two a week. When I started, I used to write three a week. It was really, mm. really intense. Mm. Um, so I actually teach during the day um, and write, you know, part of the day and at night. So Mm -hmm. I have my foot in two worlds So because I write a lot about education. It's something that's really important to me. So it's Mm -hmm. really good for me to sort of be in that world as well. But uh, yeah, when I'm not doing that, I am writing or reading because you can't write if you don't read. And that's (laughs) sort of how I am. you know, came to be the person that writes and reads all the time. Mm-hmm. And and what do you cool. consider your beat? Because, I mean, I've read uh, a lot of stuff you've written lately about immigration, but I feel like that's mm. partly because it's just in the news, you know, so much in the past couple of years. But do you have, like, what you consider your your regular topics? Um, I do, but they're not a beat. So I'm writing about everything and anything. Like, because there are so few Hispanic opinion journalists and thought leaders out there. Um, I do tend to write a lot about Hispanic issues and Latino issues, and that's sort of where the education piece comes in, Mm -hmm. health, politics, um, those sorts of things. But, you know, I'm really careful about not being pigeonholed as anything in particular, because like any other person, I contain multitudes and, and I love so many things. So I will write about anything. Like my editors will let me write about anything. So if I really want to write about Moby Dick, or if I want to write about a book that I read, or if I want to write about a movie or something completely cultural or something totally off the wall, like scientific research on sleep, just anything that's, I'm just going to where I'm interested. That's like the criteria. Yeah, it's just like whatever I think is interesting and that other people should know about because it's important or interesting. Mm -hmm. Cool. Uh, That's that's really great. And, um, you know, I want to back up a little bit and ask you when, uh, if you remember, when was the first time you read Wallace or how you got introduced to his work? Absolutely. So... This is, this is, you're going to hate this, but it's okay. (laughs) I I can deal with it. So back in 2015 in May, Stephen King wrote this opinion piece about if a novelist can be too productive. And um, I love Stephen King and I've read everything he's written, including the nonfiction books about how to write, etc. And he mentioned several books uh, in this column. And one of them was Donna Tartt's... um, the goldfinch and Mm -hmm. i read that and i thought it was amazing and in the same paragraph he talked about jonathan franson and i was like oh that's the guy maybe from the oprah thing maybe (laughs) and i didn't really like 
I didn't really think about it because like, I, I think I've, I don't know if I've said this before, but you know, I'm just a reader. Like I'm just somebody who just enjoys literature and reading. Mm-hmm. And so I was looking back into it. I think I was in a dry spell and I, and I found another Stephen King article and he was talking about how much he loved um, Jonathan Franzen. And I was like, okay, let's see what this Jonathan Franzen business is all about. So I started reading some Jonathan Franzen. And one of the first things that I actually lucked into was this really long thing that he did about the Chicago post office. And it was so well done. It was so spot on. And then I sort of started reading a lot more of his essays. And I read the novels, which I really, really liked. And then I read the last uh, I, I, the last collection of essays. And he kept talking about this guy, David Foster Wallace, and Infinite Jess. And he just kept going on and on about it. And I was like, well, just this person dropping. must be just must be like the super it's a farther awesome away dude. right it's a farther yeah, away mas so. afuera. yeah yeah mas afuera. and yeah. um and i thought okay this infinite jest thing all right i get it i will read infinite jest so i picked up infinite jest like that was it like that i hadn't really read anything else by wallace that i knew of it turns out that i had read a couple of things by him that i just uh, i didn't yeah. know they were by him mm. um but that was the one that I, I just started reading it and I thought, oh, this was written for me. This is like, this is speaking directly to me in the way that like I, I wrote, like I never encountered his writing before, but if I, you know, were to go back to my journals from when I was in high school, this is how I wrote. Like, and it's <laughs> not a good look, you know what I mean? It's not a good look when you're like a 16 year old in high school, but just the long sentences, the high vocabulary, the, you know, it's just like the fireworks, the clearly showing off. And it was just delicious. And I just adored it. And then, so I finished reading Infinite Jest and then I read everything else. I've read everything except the Infinity Book and Signifying Rappers. What about Fate, Time, and Language? Have you read that? Um, I've Don't. read excerpts like of that. Master's but, thesis in philosophy. It's brutal. Yeah, it's I've un- read. Undergrad. Yeah, I've read excerpts. Oh, I've excerpts read, yeah. of that, and it's like eh, I'm not. I'm not qualified to read this because oh, yeah. you know. And and since Nobody I'm not is. an academic, it's there's no reason for me to. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, so that's basically how you know I got into it, and then I became this complete annoyance and bore around my house because Uh I did my first my first reading was a back-to-back reading like I finished Mm -hmm. the last page and I turned the book around and I started from the first page and uh and so my (laughs) my sons and my husband had like what four months of just hearing about infinite jest and so I I finally wore my husband down and I, I got him to read it and he loved it as well. And my, if you asked my kids, they will tell you that they're under strict rules under threat of me codifying this in my will, that if I die, they have to read infinite Jess before anything is released to them (laughs) in my will. Even I don't have that in my will. It's important to me. This is like, I think I remember Dave, I think I remember you saying something in one of the early episodes about how if you haven't read Infinite Jest, like you can't really know me. Mm-hmm. And that's how I feel like this is such an important part of my life at this point. And there are other books that are, are that way. Like, yeah. Did you, you say know, that I to your husband, though? Is that yeah, how you, is oh, that totally. How you got to yeah, because like, <laughs> I said that to so Rachel that or in front it. of Rachel and she was like, hmm, <laughs> that's pretty offensive, man. <laughs> 
Um, but you know, there are other books that I go back to over sure. and over and over again, and they get it. But this one is of such a scale, and you get yeah. to know so many people that they become part of your life in a way that, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know. I adore a hundred years of solitude, and I've read that book. Mm over and over again, but I don't find myself sitting at the dinner table talking about those characters Mm. in the way that I do with, you know, my sons and my husband. So I guess, you know, it's just of a different magnitude. Mm -hmm. So take from that what you will. People will say, well, she's got a twisted, horrible brain and uh, yeah, sure. But you know, (laughs) that's my jam. So you just reread Infinite Jest very recently, right? Yes. So I finished it like two weeks ago. Yeah. So I think maybe that was my fourth or my fifth reading. It's like something that I've decided to do every year. There are books that I really do read every year. Like The Sea Wolf is one of the things that I read every year. I read a lot of Jack London every year. Um, Let me think. I probably listen to 100 Years of Solitude every year because I I listen to it in English and in Spanish. And there's just a lot of things that I go back to every year. And this is this is one of the ones that's going to be every year, I can tell, because it has been every year since I picked it up. Well, and how long did it take you to do that? It seemed like on Twitter you were you were reading it incredibly fast. Yeah, well, because A, I read really fast and then I read like on Kindle slash Kindle app on my phone slash audiobook slash the actual book. So it's sort of just everywhere. Wow. And once you get into the stories and, you know, like once you get past that second reading and you know everybody mm-hmm. and you can be like, oh, this is the part that you can just, it's just so easy to let the story take you that mm-hmm. it's not, it's not hard work That's anymore. True, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's just very easy to pick it up. You know, I'm driving to the grocery store. I'm listening it, you know, on an audiobook. I'm, you know, reading it on a Sunday afternoon. I'm looking at it while I'm in the line at the grocery store on my phone. <laughs> you know, I used to like a couple of times I did it where I was listening to the audiobook and then I had my Kindle with me so that I could look at the um the footnotes while I was listening. So I've oh, done yeah. it in all different kinds of ways. Oh. Um so yeah, I walk my dog a lot and I do listen to a lot of it when I'm doing things like walking my dogs so yeah yeah. that's cool what have been like the most rewarding um I guess really obscure connections that you've noticed between you between your different reads because you've read it five times in the last three years or whatever that's that's pretty rapid what are like what are the most rewarding things about the rereads that you've come across so far um I think I think that what's most fun for me is to make those connections like, oh, this is the guy at the beginning who was with the girl who was in trouble because, you know, she she didn't want her uh, step her mother's boyfriend touching her at the end, getting into this fight, you know, at AA with this guy who was calling him Mr. Toady, you know, like making these weird connections between the characters and, you know, and I still don't Mm -hmm. have it down. Like a lot of them, it's just like, you just let it flow over you and you remember the stories, but just making those connections. Like I read not all and not linearly elegant complexity. And I was seeing all these connections and it was almost too much. I was like, I sort of (laughs) need to make these connections one by one. Um, So that was, that was just a lot of fun. Just, it's just mind boggling 
how he wrote something that's so rich that you could just go back to and you're going to find something new. You're going to make a new connection and you're going to remember something and go, oh, I love the way that was said, you know, just over and over again. And I, I mean, I could say the same, the same thing about The Stand, you know, um, my, I think my husband reads The Stand every year. I probably get to it less often than that, but you just never get tired of it. It's like, you know, a thousand some pages and you just don't get tired of it. You're every time you read it, you're like, oh, I love this. I didn't remember this and I did remember that. Mm-hmm. So, you know. And you mentioned uh, other books that you go back and reread, including The Sea Wolf by Jack London. I've never read that. Can you give us uh, a little like quick summary of that? Um, let me see. The Sea Wolf is a book about, oh, it's a book about basically this dude goes out to sea and he's a writer and he ends up on this ship that he didn't even really want to be on. He, he gets into a, a ship crash and he gets pulled out of the sea by this brutal monster, um, you know, this, this uh, Larson fellow. And he's just like, you got, you got to get me off of here. And he gets his clothes stolen. He basically gets hazed and, and put into slavery. And then there's another shipwreck. And then this woman gets on this ship and she turns out to be this literary star. So here are these two writers who are incredibly learned and New York types. They're out on the sea on this boat with this terrible monster who's actually really interesting and really smart and has these very specific philosophical ideas about how life should be lived and he's always quoting the bible and there's this this tussle between you know the brutalism of a physical life that's difficult you know being out on the sea back in the you know in the 1800s early 1900s was no walk in the park and then these people are all like having these just they're sharing all these ideas and then you know they're trying to get away from him ultimately because yeah, they, they need to get off of this ship and he's going crazy because something's clearly wrong with him. And, you know, these two literary types are starting to fall in love with each other, but that causes problems because, you know, the pretty girl on the ship is wanted by many people. And it's just like, again, I'm not doing it justice, but it's like a jumble of all these crazy things put together. Hmm. And I don't know. I just, hmm. I, every year I read it and I, you know, and I'm like, my husband's bought me special editions of it. So I've got a couple of different ones. It's like beautiful illustrations and the gold leaf on the end. And it's just one of those stories that I just, I don't even think, you know what I mean? Like you don't even think you just listen to a story. You read a story the way you would if you were sitting by a campfire, you know, you're just so in the moment. Hmm. I, I mean, I don't, I don't approach literature from that critical perspective. Um, and that's, I'm not necessarily proud of that. I, I wish I had that skill, but I'm not an academic. So I'm really just taking things in as entertainment, as thought-provoking pleasure. Mm-hmm. That sounds I, nice. I totally agree. I mean, I totally get that. And I love uh, a lot of other Jack London stuff. I probably read uh, White Fang the most to my kids. It's a really oh, yeah. great um, bedtime book. Um, but what what are some other books? You mentioned a couple of others that you really connect with or reread a lot. Sure. So there's A Hundred Years of Solitude, which is a just, I love that book. Um, it's one, of, again, a big, wide ranging, like crazy just book about these 
you know, this family in Latin America and, you know, the whole magical realism thing. And it's just, it's like a fever dream. That book is like a fever dream. Um, and I don't know, I'm not doing it any justice whatsoever, but it's just, it speaks to me. And when did you first read that? Very recently, actually, like I'd say within the, the last five years. Oh, wow. Like I just, you know, cause everybody's always like, Oh, you gotta read this. And, you know, okay, I will. And then you're like, Oh, oh wow. This is really, it. yeah. Oh, <laughs> got, got to catch them all. Yeah. It is. <laughs> so yeah. And then hey, the road by Cormac McCarthy was on there. So <laughs> yeah, you she's can't got some okay taste. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You, you can't complain. Um, anything that gets more people reading, you can't complain. But um, I don't know. I'm drawing a bit. I I really do read a lot of Jack London. I did a really great interview with Earl Labor, who is the gentleman who is the person that wrote the definitive biography of Jack London. Mm -hmm. And um, he was just so passionate about this, this topic. He's getting on in years. And I specifically sort of interviewed him when he, uh, he published his most recent biography of London. Oh, I want to say a few years ago, I don't remember, but I remember thinking I need to talk to him. So, and and ask him all kinds of stuff, not related to this book, because when he passes, I want to be able to write about him again, you know, Mm because you have to sort of, you know, you got to bank things, put them in a, you know, put them on the shelf so that they can be useful later. But, um, he was just enormously passionate about London and, and I am too. So that was fun. I read a lot of Stephen King books a lot because I just, he was, was one of my formative influences like I read a lot of Stephen King when I was when I was young Mm. so and I continue to do so I just you know I just downloaded the newest one it's it's a real shorty so I'm looking forward to it um what else Mm, Uh, so I have a Stephen King story you want to hear my oh yes please um so I was a big fan of Stephen King uh, as a kid my dad had all of his books Uh, you know this is up into the mid to late 80s Mm. And uh, so did a friend of mine, my best friend. His mom had a ton of Stephen King books at the house. And it was like an occasion, you know, when he came out with a new one, it would be number one New York oh, Times yeah. bestseller. It was, Absolutely. it was really a big occasion. Um, and so I, I moved away from that friend uh, between junior and senior year of high school and moved to Colorado. And, uh, you know, I... I never had an opportunity to see Stephen King or anything until I moved to Colorado. And like right away it was announced that he would be reading from his newest book, like in a few weeks. (laughs) And he, um, and he had just had this motorcycle accident, right? Where he, oh. or, 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 or no, he, not motorcycle, but he got hit on the side of the mm-hmm. road. Right. Oh yeah. Um, I think I have the timeline of this, right. And that this was like 1995. That sounds about right. Yeah. Um, maybe I've got this all wrong, but he, he rode a motorcycle across the U S on this tour. It was for, for a kind of bad book called insomnia. And oh, don't say that. I thought I love you were going to say book. bad boy book. It's kind of a bad book. It's not his greatest book. I don't think well, it, maybe I mean, it's not, not even in the, it's not even in the top 10, Esther. Come on. Oh, <laughs> Matt, you obviously sleep well at night. Just that, admit it. Do you? Because uh, I've suffered from well. insomnia intermittently in my life, <laughs> and that book like totally talks to me. <laughs> well, so maybe I'm enough. biased because of that. <laughs> I think it has a good premise. It's just. Uh, and I, this is going to sound really ironic. It's too long. 
Well, you could say that a lot about, about a lot of King's books. That's like the one thing you have to forgive him for. Sometimes it just goes yeah. on a little too much. <laughs> yeah, but it was it was a great experience to be able to see him, and it was like right around Halloween, and you know made all of my Did friends super jealous. He did not have a costume because he was riding on a motorcycle. Stephen King. That's his costume. You, you know what? I, Esther probably knows this better. So he rode along in a motorcycle, but had like a a guy in a truck hauling a trailer behind him so that, I don't know, at night or in, if it rained or something, he would just put the bike in the trailer and ride in the truck. Sure, yeah. And I think that that shows up in one of his later books from the later 90s or early 2000s. Um, a lot of it runs together for me, but what yeah, I do, one thing I do remember is on that motorcycle trip, um, he was really impressed that east of Colorado Springs, there was a little town called Yoder. <laughs> and, and it sounded like the way that a guy from Maine would say Yoda. Yoda. Right? Uh. Like Yoder. And so I think that he, um, he was always looking for more names and stuff like this. And he sure. just made a huge deal out of any time he, he found a name that he thought was really funny. So it, it was really interesting to, to get to meet him briefly during yeah, that did time. Did you get your book signed? Oh, of course. Of course. Oh, that's so neat. Um, but uh, I thought of all the books, there's got to be this crappy one. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't have been hilarious. like Cujo or something. Huh? I got the insomnia. It's not his greatest book. But. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. So if I think of what other that book was, I think it was the one um, that was two. It's like Desperation and another one where they were packaged together. Yes. One is a Richard Bachman book. I think one of those has the motorcycle guy in it, which is oh. like based on that book tour that he did interesting um, but if i find it i'll add it to the show notes so. oh yeah yeah I do i know i i had it you know a, a couple of years ago i moved my house i, I moved to a, a different home and it was like are we really going to take all these books with us? I mean, we mm -hmm. had so many books. I had like every single Stephen King book and <laughs> I gave them all away. I only oh, have wow. one left. I only up. have Under the Dome and mm. that's not true. I have Under the Dome and I have, I think I probably have a copy of The Stand, but they're so heavy, you know, they like hurt your wrist and it's easier oh, yeah. like when your you eyesight starts going to, you know, just go on Kindle and make the type really, really big. And it's, you know, you know, as you get older, these when things When I see my really parents' iPhones, matter. how big they have the text for texting, oh I just gosh. like cry laughing every time. Yes. I have yes. mine set to the I'm smallest it can go on purpose. Yeah. So like the way I'm not there yet, but I'm getting there. I am definitely <laughs> getting there. And you know, the more you read, the worse your eyes get. So. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Matt, you're well, screwed, buddy. I know. At least know. I'm playing board games. That gives yeah, me that'll a bit protect more you. <laughs> so, Stephen King, um, I, can you give us a, a few of your other? You already said the Stand. That's one of your favorites. Insomnia. Yeah. You like that? And what are some other ones that you like? I'm I'm super interested into this. I really like the whole Dark Tower series. Like every single one of the Dark Tower series, and then 
the wizard in the glass, uh, not the wizard in the glass, the, the wind the- through the keyhole, which was the extra book. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the green dragon. Was it the green dragon? It's the green eyes of the dragon. The eyes of the dragon. The green mile? No, no, no. I'm thinking of the eyes of the dragon, which is somewhat, but not exactly related to the Dark Tower series. And oh, I just love that book. It is just a fairy tale of a book. And I felt like the wind through the keyhole was that way as well, even though it was very much related to the Dark Tower. But I really loved that whole entire series. Probably not every single book as much as the other, but just every single one of those books went together so well. And I I just remember enjoying them immensely. I've enjoyed them since. Like I know I've read here and there. I did not go see that movie because everybody said that it was horrible and Mm -hmm. it did not at all, you know, go by the book. So I didn't bother seeing it. Um, But yeah, I don't remember which one I reread when it came out just in solidarity with with King. And I (laughs) I adored Under the Dome. And the JFK one was oh, really eleven twenty two sixty three. Yes, I love that one. and the um, the adaptation of it that Hulu did was really top notch for what it was. It was really good. It was really good. And I'm not a super big James Franco fan, um, but <laughs> but he was fantastic in it. And I thought the whole thing was great. I haven't caught the. Um, Have you seen the uh, disaster the, artist yet? No, no, Franco, I really the, don't. The I don't run room. out to see James Franco movies at all. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if he's in that. something that I like, you know, like, oh, I loved him in Pineapple Express. You know, I mean, don't sure. get me wrong. There's some things that I really like, but it's he's not like the big draw for me. <laughs> um, and um, what else was I going to say? The um, what other one? I have not uh, watched any of the Mr. Mercedes TV adaptation, but I'm sort of looking forward to more of those coming out so I can sort of binge watch them. And I love, like I said, I love Under the Dome so much that when I started watching the TV series adaptation, I was probably halfway into the first episode and I was like, nope, not doing it. Yeah, I heard it was kind of bad. I just dumped it and I was like, sorry, hon, if you want to watch this without me, that's fine, but this is not right for me. (laughs) See, I I can probably budget time in my life to read under the dome and some of these thousand page novels but not also go and watch all the movies so how do you find the time esther how do i find the time well i okay so i my life is incredibly regimented by routine like Mm -hmm. routine runs my life if i didn't have my routines my life would fall apart so every friday night i watch three 45 minute episodes of something with my husband. And then on Saturday, I probably watch another three 45 minute installments of something else, either with my husband or like with my kids. So like, for instance, last week, Friday night, I watched three episodes of the man in the high castle, the, the, mm. the latest one. Okay. And then on Saturday, we watched the, Oh, I love it. I'm I current it before so this season, though, but much. I saw that it just the dropped whole on Amazon thing, Prime. So. I, and I'm, I, die, I live and die for those costumes. I, that yeah. probably sounds horrible, but I just love the uh, any kind of co- costume um, movie I'm really into, and the costumes in this one are just really, really good. I'm that really annoying person that goes to Star Wars movies and is like delighted by the costumes, but not really anything else. Not really a Star Wars fan. Um, do you, and do then, you do cosplay when you go to them? Do you dress up yourself? Is no. Is that how into the costumes you are? 
No, I'm no, I'm so into the costumes that like I will study about the costumes and I will look at the artist drawings and I will look up the designers that did it. Like I remember I went on this whole tear about the um, the Praetorian Guard from the last uh, movie that came out at Christmas last year. And I just adored the costumes of those. I call them the lobster men. It was uh, Snoke's imperial oh, praetorian yeah, yeah, yeah. guard mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and i just love that scene so much and i just like super went in deep to the the guy that designed them and people that make them and the materials that you can make them out of and you know drawings and how they you know evolved and i just i love that but anyway so, so, so if michael sure ever puts infinite jest on the screen who is your recommendation for costume design are you that into that world that you could name the person that you think would do the best no, job of it? No, I couldn't. Penniless? No, I don't. I don't know. I'm the person that like, I will watch the credits to a movie. I really do enjoy watching the credits to the movie, and I'll be like, oh, the costume designer was blah blah blah, and then I immediately forget that name. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm more than happy to talk about the costumes in X Y Z show or or movie, but I never. I don't. I don't have costume designers that I follow okay, per okay. se. Yeah, cool, so cool. I'm not that that in that. That'd deep. be pretty but deep. But believe yeah. me, if that Infinite Just movie did come around, I would put the time in and I would like send Michael Schur <laughs> and his people some recommendations. Okay, let's just put it that way. Yeah, but, yeah. So anyway, I watched three episodes of Man in the High Castle on Friday and then three the first three episodes of the new season of The Walking Dead on Saturday with my son and my mm-hmm. husband. Mm-hmm. So Is that, that season that was like 22 now? What are they at? No, it's season nine. Yeah, I'm just yes, kidding. It's really dragged <laughs> on. No, yeah, I'm, they've really I'm, dragged that show out, haven't they? I, I mostly watch for my son. There are some really enjoyable parts to it, but I, I tend to find myself disagreeing with many of the decisions that are made by the leadership on that show. And oh, so yeah, I get very frustrated. Sure. But, you know, we've, I mean, you know, you you hang with something for nine years, you're mm-hmm. going to keep watching it. Oh, so. yeah, I've, I've hung in with a lot of garbage for that reason. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sons exactly. of Anarchy comes to mind the most. Yes. Oh, I watched every single episode of Sons of Anarchy. I yeah, we did too, but Sons we like Anarchy. hated the last like three seasons. We were like, oh, why do we keep watching this? Is all yeah, well, we've they come were, this far, you know. They they were some of them were really hard to get through. But mm-hmm. have you watched the Mayans MC? Uh, continuation is there a spin-off of that no yes it's the mayans mc and it's like all the latino uh you you know motorcycle (laughs) (laughs) well i mean you know i wanted to get excited about it and i called the people or i sent in an inquiry to the press people and i was like oh you know get me to talk to kurt sutter i'd love to hear about what it's like to write as a white man for you know this predominantly Latino motorcycle club, when mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Latinos are so demonized in America, and you know they're well, that's an interesting they're, question. They're, yeah. they're considered gang members, and you know the president's putting them down. And the publicist mm-hmm. was like, "Yes, we're definitely going to do that." And I hounded her for like three months, and then <laughs> next thing I know, the thing premiered, and it was like three episodes in. And I was like, "Oh, okay, I guess that didn't happen." So I like mm. I never watched it because <laughs> mm. they never sent me the the, the advanced screeners. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, I just, they never sent me the advanced screeners. And then I was like, oh gosh, I guess I missed the boat. So maybe if the episode or the season ends and then I could sort of binge watch them because that's obviously how I take in my TV yeah. and film, yeah. then maybe, maybe that'll be interesting. But yeah. who knows? I, I don't know if it's any good. I don't think I even re- read reviews about it, to be frank. Mm. So yeah, yeah. I don't know. What show was that? It's called Mayan Mayans MC. MC. 
It's wow. a spinoff of Sons of Anarchy. Wow. Okay. From yeah, AMC. I'm definitely, definitely going to We lost Matt a while uh, ago, Esther. Take a, take a back seat on that. <laughs> he comment. started reading a book. Uh, <laughs> I finished okay. one. He's got a big <laughs> stack. <laughs> okay. You're like uh, Samantha from Her, which I just watched. <laughs> I rewatched on Saturday because I went to a Halloween party on Saturday night and I went as Theodore Twombly. Just watching oh my gosh. character. So I was kind of like watching the movie to get some ideas. And she talks about how she, you know, like in their opening conversation, she read a uh, 80,000 name, like how to name your child book. And she picked her name in like the one second between their pause in their conversation. That's oh, Matt Booker. <laughs> he's, he's approaching that. Nice. No, but for postmodern Esther, American fiction. I think Esther can can have us beat and um you know your story about discovering wallace through franzen is pretty similar to the way that um i discovered like john updike and vladimir nabokov which is through the nicholson baker book you and i mm. which is probably not the ideal way to do it i mean i don't <laughs> know if there is an ideal way to do it but like this happens right if you're a reader and you you know you kind of mm. jump from one thing to another um, you know, tell us more about that stuff. Like, I, I assume you still read that way, right? Like you hear about someone, like how oh, do you absolutely. discover new books? How do you discover new stuff? Oh, I, it's super boring. I read the New York times review of books. <laughs> this is like the super most boring way to, to find out about new books. And then Amazon, the Amazon Corporation just knows what I read and it <laughs> recommends stuff to me. I know oh, that's man. like, I that was just really the way that I discovered early stuff too. When I got into this kind of literature, it was just like people who bought this also bought and I would just like click on that, read about it. Exactly. That sounds and then cool. I, I'll buy that. And, I talk yeah. to people that I really like about what I'm reading and they tell me about what they're reading. So I keep a note on my iPhone mm -hmm. of all of the books that I want to read because someone has told me, oh, this is really good. Yeah. Um, or, oh, I really like this or you would like that. So I do keep a running list of books that I want to read. And, um, you know, depending on whether they come out on Kindle or whether they become an audiobook, etc. Mm -hmm. I just I keep going. And has a lot anyone of times, ever recommended Infinite Jest to you? After no. the fact? No. <laughs> or do you beat them no. to the punch? Um, I don't know. It doesn't really... I, I don't travel in the kind of circles where that would be, you know, <laughs> a topic of conversation. Mm -hmm. I hate to break it to you, but teachers in the American public school system, they're not really like <laughs> super delving into literature. <laughs> Have you watched the TV um, show The Affair? No, you know it's on show? my list. Yeah, no. Dominic. What's the guy's name? The... Uh, oh yeah from the wire from, from the wire, from wire. yeah yeah yes. so he's in a tv show called the affair and i think in season two or three he's a high school teacher a literature teacher he gets like he gets suspended and he has to go to this kind of like room for two months with other suspended teachers and the guy next to oh him sure the rubber Infinite rooms Jess. of new york yeah 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 and so they have like a you know minute or two long conversation specifically about the book i mean oh, that's hilarious pop culture's given given you guys a little bit of an of an edge there i guess but <laughs> Maybe yeah. it's not the norm. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. And then, of course, also, like, I read a lot of uh, journalism. Like, mm -hmm. I read a lot of books about journalism because I really love nonfiction. And mm -hmm. I have all these crazy interests. So I've read, oh, I can't tell you how many books about cadavers and <laughs> uh, death and cannibalism 
I've read and like reanimating corpses. I've read just in the last year, like probably five or six, just like I get on a tear about something and I just really like following like, you know, oh, what is Mary Welch, you know, stiff. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So I get really into something and then I have these crazy little interests that like nobody else has. So I'm like super into container ships. So... (laughs) I, Season two of The Wire. Right uh, yeah, yeah exactly. Right. Exactly. Job, uh, yeah, <laughs> very, bravo. So one, one of my books that I absolutely adore and is on my, I always recommend this book to people. It's called 90% of Everything by Rose George. And mm. it's only a few years old. And uh, basically she hops on a container ship and she traces, you know, how these people go and, and how the whole container ship system works. And very, very recently, a book called Into the Raging Sea by Rachel Slade came out and it talks about the sinking of the ship El Faro. And it's just, oh, it's just captivating. Just, hmm. it's Did so you just read that um, Keith Gessen piece that was in the New Yorker about taking a container ship through the like Northwest Passage. No, I'll have to look. Oh. That, I'll have we'll, to look. We'll into put a link that. to it in the show notes. You would love yes. it. Um, but you know, it's a, it's a lot of those similar stories where a journalist gets uh, on board, and a lot of people don't realize that you can't. They do take on passengers, and they have a certain mm-hmm. number of cabins just for passengers. Yeah, um, they go all over the world constantly to every known port. So it's actually a pretty cheap way to see the world is travel yeah. by hmm. container ship. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I think that, that's a really good uh, option for me because I really, really want to take a, a ship somewhere that's not a cruise. So I really, I, I would love to do that. Like I always <laughs> say, I wish that like the Cunard uh, Corporation would start like ferrying people from New York to, to London again, just not as a, a cruise ship with a buffet and a pool, but just to, to take that kind of sea voyage. And I don't know about you, but I'm super psyched about that new Titanic. I would totally get on that new Titanic. <laughs> oh, are they remaking it? I've not heard about this. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. yeah Titanic yeah. 2. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They didn't learn their lesson the first time, huh? <laughs> nope. All those icebergs <laughs> have melted. Bad. Yeah. Oh, that's <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah. They have melted. <laughs> No, okay, it's like it's off the this, coast of Nova Scotia or something like that, like really far. Uh, <laughs> Newfoundland. Newfoundland, yeah. Um, this uh, aligns with one of my strong interests, Esther, which is uh, Antarctica. Mm. And so there are a lot of container ships that will go around uh, the, the, the Horn of, I mean, the Cape of Good Hope. Mm-hmm. And um, there are also a series of like tall ships that you can ride on that are not super luxurious but more for like that recreating an authentic experience right Mm. where you can ride um but it takes like you know a month to go out of like ushiawa argentina down into antarctica and then back up around the sure the cape of good hope um well you know my husband and i were very very uh we were thinking about this when we became teachers. We're like, we'll always have summers off to go do things. And so that sounds like the perfect summer trip for two school teachers mm-hmm. who don't have a lot of money <laughs> and really, really mm-hmm. want to suffer on a ship. <laughs> <laughs> you could totally sounds do it. Sounds familiar, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, so you've you mentioned journalism. Let's talk a little bit about uh, the kind of journalism that Wallace did, which was like essayistic more mm-hmm. than like straight articles of 
you know, he didn't see himself so much as reporting on a thing, but like adding some fictional flavor to it in a way. Uh, mm-hmm. What's your What's your take on that? Um, well, it's like any author, right? So you read David Sedaris and Mm -hmm. you absolutely love Lou Sedaris and all of his crazy family. And you have to come away and say to yourself, well, are you going to be happy with knowing that that's a story and it may not actually be his, the entirety of his family dynamic? Yeah, I'll buy it because, you know, it was entertaining. So, um, you know, when I look at Wallace, I, I, I'm just really, you know, anything by him that I read or anybody else, I understand the context or, or at least I try to. So, you know, you don't have to Google very far to see what people have said and what the criticisms have been uh, about his journalistic work. And, you know, you enjoy the story, you read it, and then you go and look and about what people have said and you sort of make up your mind. So, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm okay with him sort of taking liberties with what he did because no one was going to him for the after day story about the fire. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? It was like nobody was reading him because they needed information on a topic. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like Like, that's not why you read Wallace. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's not why you read Wallace. That may not be why you read a lot of writers who are just really excellent at weaving a tale, but maybe not so great with their fact checking. And if you Mm. know that, then that's okay. I mean, that becomes a more difficult conversation in the era of fake news and of declining trust in public institutions like the government, like mm. journalism, like media corporations. Um, so that's definitely we could, you know, we could have a whole panel and a whole discussion just on that aspect of it. But, you know, considering well, that's interesting, that, though, I mean, you, it sounds like you're saying that it should be fact checked a little bit differently, right? Like that kind of nonfiction isn't necessarily wrong if, you know, we say, well, this guy actually has more to his personality that it's like, is that a difference in fact checking? No, I think what I'm saying is that David Foster Wallace is dead. His work has a beginning, a middle and an end. And we can look at it critically from, a, uh, uh, you know, from, from, uh, from a remove. That's what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. And if we are to interact with his work, we have a, a wealth of resources for how to interpret that work. And I don't know that someone who was who is not active in media ecosphere right now can be held to the same standards or we can't hold people to those standards. You know what I mean? I think he would have uh, a very, exactly. I, I think he would have a very different career if he was still alive and he was continuing to write. And I mm-hmm. think editors at a time ago would have made it very clear that he, you know, he needed to pick a lane. You're either fiction or you're nonfiction. <laughs> right. um, but he, I, I haven't just happened to think that he's a special case because he's not with us anymore. And his work has a beginning, a middle and an end. And we we look at that differently than we look at whatever the people at The New York Times or at The New Yorker are doing. I don't expect to read anything in The New York Times or in The New Yorker that's sort of fictional, but sort of not. I, I want to have a real sense of clarity about what I'm reading. And David Sedaris, for instance, has been very much on the record about what he 
writes, but he's not considered a journalist, right? He's considered an essayist and he's an entertainer. Mm -hmm. And so I don't look at what, at the kind of, um, at the kind of uh, latitude that he takes with his own work, the way that I would if I were looking at someone who's just a straight journalist that doesn't do anything but journalism. Well, and I, I, when you're talking there, it makes me think that the problem isn't, you know, what those writers are doing. It's really um, readers, right? And the, the reader, if you're not able to discern the difference between different types of even nonfiction, you know, there's this kind of belletristic tradition and if you're reading in you know a profile of an artist in the believer that's very different than you know reading the front page of the new york times and you know this expectation that i'm also thinking of this book the lifespan of a fact john degata and this this believer fact checker have you guys seen this book or it was just made into a broadway play with uh daniel radcliffe Hmm. oh oh oh, Um, that's what radcliffe have been talking about yeah yeah so anyways he's uh, fact checker for this believer essay, and John Degata is very much an embellisher, right? Or a an artist who is an essay. He's drawing a distinction between an essay and an article. Yeah. And mm-hmm. uh, and in the essay, like pretty much in the first sentence, there's like three things that the guy can fact check and say, no, this is actually not technically correct. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they get into this huge kind of philosophical argument about, uh, you know, how do you represent truth and uh wallace i have to find the quote it's somewhere he said something that he writes fiction because that's the only place he can tell the truth yeah or that it's like nonfiction is about what's real and like fiction is about what's true yeah and again i i totally agree with that sentiment and that's a very sophisticated sort of thing (laughs) it's very sophisticated I, I cannot begin to tell you the kind of people that are out there reading, you know, on the web. There is no media literacy. There is no mm-hmm. um, there is no reading literature and different genres within nonfiction and different genres within fiction. It's so polarized and fractured that people just really generally don't they can't make those distinctions because they don't even understand that they're there. Um you know, I mean, people are constantly hounding me about, oh, you know, you're so opinionated. I'm like, well, I write an opinion column. So, <laughs> yeah. There's a place for I, that. The, there's a place for that. I'm, yeah. you know, I'm not a beat reporter and that's mm-hmm. a very conscious choice. So right. it's, it is really hard, you know, when we get into discussions about what people are reading. I mean, there's a level of sophistication of people like the three people that are having this conversation right now that is not on a level of the average person that's out there scrolling through Google News or whatever the Facebook algorithm feeds them as news who are able to make a distinction between an essay and an analysis and, uh, you know, an opinion and straight reporting and then day after reporting and long form reporting. And it's just that's all inside ball for us. Well, speak yeah. for yourself, Esther. <laughs> I think it's also incredibly hard to teach. And I mean, I'm sure you have opinions about how uh, literacy changes and the yeah. 
the ability to teach you know learning and reading on different even formats and you know text that jumps around on a screen versus something that scrolls through on your phone versus you know a book and a mag all of these different formats alone i think the mode of reading is very difficult now sure Um, yeah yeah it's all it's decontextualized you know every link looks the same it's yeah. very difficult to tell someone who's starting their writing career as a fourth grader why, <laughs> you know, a link from uh, the World Wildlife Foundation is not the same as a link from Yahoo News. It mm-hmm. looks the same. Mm-hmm. It comes up on a page the same. It's got pictures that, you know, it looks similar. So it's very, it's, it's a very difficult skill to teach. And it's not one that's being taught in schools with any kind of, you know, long-term plan or set curriculum or level of mm-hmm. rigor. Mm-hmm. And so we're, we're, you know, that's going to cause problems down the road. It, it's already causing problems. Sure. I want to um, switch gears a little bit and go back and ask you about something on your most recent um, reread of Infinite Jest. Mm-hmm. Is that with a lot of our recent guests, we've talked about parts of the book that don't tend to age well, or seem <laughs> like, or seem like Wallace just got wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, and in a way, that's that's interesting. And in a way, it's like you know, any book from thirty years ago seems dated in some ways. Oh yeah. Um, hey, but speaking like, of which, our friend Matt Luter, friend of the show, just gave a paper in uh, Alabama this weekend about Wardeen, about the Wardeen B. Cry yeah. chapter. Mm. Yes, and it was it, that that's yet, very much it's it's very much on my mind. I haven't read the paper, but I saw that that was the topic of mm-hmm. his paper. And um, so I mean, I want to ask your perspective on this as, you know, not a white male. What was your first take? And then like, how do you cope with it on multiple rereads? The entire book? Or are you referring specifically Uh, to that? Race and gender and stuff, all of that. Like, yeah, the different voices that he's doing there with people of color and, um, you know, anything that seems like maybe inappropriate or outdated. Sure. Um. Well, you know, everything that I've read in my entire life has mm-hmm. usually been uh, something written by, you know, a straight white person. So that's never been the lens that I've used to look at literature through. Um, and that's just not even the way I was raised. I went to a Catholic school with an incredibly diverse student body and somehow magically wonderful teachers who were completely inclusive and, um, you know, diverse. And it, it was a fairy tale that seemingly, from what I hear, no one else has had a good experience, you know, as a person mm-hmm. of color. So I, I may be mm-hmm. the weirdo, but, um, you know, it's interesting when I did read uh, the book this last time, you know, a couple of weeks ago, when I finished it a couple of weeks ago, um, I was specifically had my eye open about the the Wardine and the mm. the poor Tony and that particular part of it. Um, and when I had first read, the first thing that struck me when I read Infinite Jest all the way through is that. Every voice, regardless of what kind of voice it was, seemed like a fully formed personality that was an individual 
unto themselves that's not representative of anyone else. Like Mm -hmm. it's really, you know, when you're looking at literary criticism or if you're studying it academically, you're going to deconstruct a book by looking at archetypes and Mm -hmm. themes, etc. But to just read it as a reader, I'm looking to immerse myself in a world that seems real. And when I first read it, I thought, Every single one of these people, as outlandish as they are, seem to me like real people that I've met or real people that I've known. And real people are sexist. Real people are drug addicts. Real people are depressives. You know, they have this whole wide variety. So I just sort of take it at its face value instead of you know, trying to derive sort of a larger value to it Mm. instead of trying to make it a cultural critique. Now, that said, um, I saw Matt Luter's tweet about um, talking about that particular aspect, the the Wardine Mm. piece. And here's here's what I thought when I read it this last time. And I was listening very closely because I know that it can be seen as very offensive to people. Mm-hmm. And so as I listened to it, I, I took it in and I said to myself, you spent your whole last year living in a, uh, I'm sorry, working in a, an environment where uh, the high poverty rate was 70% and 85% of your students were African-American, low income, mm-hmm. segregated in a community lacking resources, the water in our school had lead in it. Hmm. Um, Is this the way the people in that community spoke? Is this the way? Right. Is there verisimilitude? Yeah. I mean, did this sound like someone who did their homework and went and listened to people talk and then recreated it for the purpose of having a characteristic in a book. And I said to myself, yes, this is the kind of conversations I had with students and parents, and this is how people talk in certain communities. And I don't think there's anything wrong with representing that in a book. You know, the alternative is they're not represented at all. Um, Is it perfect? No, but to to the point of, uh, I think it was Matt that said this, uh, in the recap from the uh, the the conference episode, mm-hmm. do we really need every single author to be representative of everyone? Mm-hmm. I don't think so, because if that's true, then no Latino writer can write about just Latinos because they will be discriminating against everyone who's not Latino. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like that just you, you can't. You can't say that. And you can't and you also can't tell a Latino writer that they can't write about white people or about people that are of their opposite gender, because then, I mean, what are you saying? Then nobody can write about anybody that's not like them. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you don't want to read it, that's OK. I and mean, that's totally up to you. But if you do read it, then you kind of have to accept that it's going to be imperfect. Right. Mm-hmm. It's just it's never going to rise to the challenge of being all inclusive in a respectful manner, in a way that everybody agrees that this is the right way to do it. It's just not going to happen. I, 
I think some of the criticism of the Wardeen thing is that it was, uh, some people say it was just bad. It was just done poorly. And that, uh, you know, I think part of the problem with it is that it was written when he was in grad school in like 1985, 1986, and he was trying to be like cool and say like, oh, I can write these urban characters that, you know, you rich white kids from... Uh, Arizona or the East Coast, you know, you, you they didn't really have there. And so in a way, I think it's criticized as being like almost exoticizing it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I also just think for the way that it was done and the time period he wrote it, it was just not great. It was like a grad student's idea at writing like an urban, you know, inner city black character. Uh, and it maybe didn't sound like what a lot of people thought a urban, you know, black inner city woman would sound like even in 1985. So well, I think and, that and that's, I, that's yeah, a valid criticism. I think that's a valid criticism as well. And I, I certainly am not saying it's not a valid criticism. Yeah. However, if you, if, if that is a valid criticism, then I think we can also open it up and say that people who live in Boston and are of a lower socioeconomic status and are maybe even perhaps Irish immigrants can say the same thing about the working class people in uh, Massachusetts that were portrayed in that book. Right, and it was caricature almost. I mean, and it was a... uh... Absolutely. Absolutely. Sorry, I have a helicopter flying over my house right now. Okay, so is the SWAT team coming really, for you finally? We, we welcome all really kinds sp- of uh, vehicles on the show. Really you know, garbage up. trucks, you know, helicopters. So screwing up my recording. We're not in a professional recording studio. <laughs> I should make a disclaimer. Unlike this Esther, time. who is. No, 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 no. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's always going to it's always going to fall short for someone, right? You know, when we talk about 100 years of solitude, Mm -hmm. every single character in that book is a caricature. Mm -hmm. They just are. Mm. Right. And I don't hold that against that book. And, you know, many of us who have families in Latin America know that those caricatures are pretty spot on sometimes. (laughs) And sometimes they're really not. And Mm. that's okay. Mm. I mean, you have to, you, you know, no one ever force, unless you're in a college course or in high school or something, nobody ever forces you to read something. Pick it up. If you like it, great. Enjoy it. If you don't put it down and move on to something else, life's too short to just read something that you're not going to enjoy. I don't understand the concept of hate reading something. I just <laughs> do not get it. I don't I don't get know it. that I've ever done it. Um, I mean, I've hated stuff that I've read, but not on purpose. Sure, exactly. Um, yeah, you probably nice hated stuff that you were really hoping you'd like, and then it really yes. disappointed you. Yeah, like I would perhaps put, uh, even insomnia. Tao, no, no, that actually, I don't even hate it; I just dislike it. But Tao Lin, I would put in that category. Is like, I don't know if you've read any of his books, but I started reading them, you know, ten years ago, and I was like, everyone says like, oh, this guy's like up and comer; he's a hip, he's cool. I started reading it. I was like, oh, I actually really hate this. Like, yeah. really hate it. Yeah. But I just didn't. I stopped reading them. I mean, maybe his new book is good, but I'm, I will never find out because I don't care. Yeah. Um, oh, I the, feel that this, way about Dave Eggers. I think he's mm-hmm. probably immensely talented. And I, I know that people adore him. 
And I picked up, uh, God, what is that book called? You know, Heartbreaking the one. Work of Staggering Yes, Genius. The Heartbreaking yeah. Work mm-hmm. of Staggering. And I was like, uh-uh. <laughs> I just like, put it down. You know, that's funny you say that because I, I quite enjoyed that book when I read it, I don't know, 10 years ago or whatever for the first time. And all the other guys, like friends of mine who also read it, we all liked it. And then, you know, Rachel, my wife, read it and some of her friends' girlfriends read it. And there was this really, like, interesting uh, polar view on the book based on gender and my theory about it is that like i think that book is a really intimate look into the male psyche and maybe for a guy who reads it they're like oh yeah i can relate to this and then for a woman who reads it they're like oh this is what it's like in that in that skull that's like haunting and terrifying no you know maybe there's a different experience i I disagree because i've read joshua ferris's last book Oh, God, the one about being Jewish. You know what I'm talking about, right? Mm, I can't remember I what know. it was. And that book was just like all about being a guy. I mm-hmm. I, I don't think that's the issue with that's me. It's not haunting. Because... <laughs> okay. So I, I, I will give about one minute on Dave Eggers, and then we're going to have to move on because I can't. <laughs> I can't. Well, we gave Jonathan Franzen, you know, at least two, so. So, uh, and, and Wallace has a long blurb on the back of the book. And I mean, I was living in New York and working in book publishing when that book came out and it was a big freaking deal. There was a lot of hype behind it. And I remember, you know, rushing to the store, buying it, reading it and just thinking like one, I disagree with the premise that it's like even that heartbreaking of a book. Like, <laughs> sure. It's sad that both, both of his parents died. It's sad, but I was like, there's a lot more sad shit in the world. And like, it's pretty tongue in cheek, the title though, right? I get it. Uh-huh. But if you put that as your title <laughs> sure. of your book and the part about his parents' death and raising his brother mm-hmm. is not tongue in cheek. He actually sure. is trying to break your heart. Sure. And there, especially the stuff later on about, uh, spreading the ashes. I mean, Wallace cites this part as being like really pathetic. And uh, <laughs> I, I don't think that he wanted, he, he was conflicted about being sincere and his follow-up book was terrible. And uh, I, I thought, yes, there's something weird going on with him where like whatever talent he does have is really kind of self-absorbed. Um, even though I really like what he's done with 826 and with McSweeney's and like McSweeney's books. Yeah, that's a whole different story. Yeah. He's Mm -hmm. built this whole other empire and it's sort of fractured now. It's not the way that it used to be. Um, so a lot has changed and like his last book, Matt Luter and I actually were just tweeting about, about Heroes of the Frontier, which maybe that's two books ago now, but I just felt really bored with it. Like, he, he had the good premise and like started writing it out. And then it was just like, I just didn't give a shit. I just didn't care. <laughs> um, so. I, yeah. But back I, to boy I, books, because I think this right. is one of the, this is one of the criticisms about infinite jest is that it's really a boy's book and mm. it's all about the male gaze on everything and everything. And I just, that always makes me mad because <laughs> I, you know, if you subscribe to that, then no men will ever read books that have a lot of women in it and, and, and they'll miss out. You know what I mean? Like oh, when yeah, I think about Donna Tartt's The Goldfinch, mm-hmm. that story is all about two young boys throughout like all these years of their relationship. And it was written by a woman and it was just 
a beautiful work. You know, you can you can look at a million things, you know, a million stories that are either about women that were written by women or by men or by whoever. I just don't buy this idea that you have to stick to a lane. And I don't buy the idea that some things are just, you know, more for women than for men, unless uh-huh. you're really talking about genre. Like if you're talking about romance novels, then yeah, we're, we're talking about a different story. Yeah. Cause yeah, I was not meaning to say with my comment that I'm saying that this book is for, for one subsection or the other. I'm just saying that the male psyche portrayed by Eggers in that book leaves people wanting, <laughs> you know what I yeah. mean? Like they're like, Oh, is this what it's like inside there? That's, I don't, I don't want anything to do with that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm not, I'm not. I saying... think that's a lot of books though. Sure. I think that's just a lot of books. Mm-hmm. And I also, they just know, thought he I... was like quite dumb and pathetic too. Like why yeah. would you make these choices? They're very bad. <laughs> yeah. Well, look at popular entertainment, right? I mean, yeah. didn't that movie about James Franco and Seth Rogen going to North Korea make a lot of money? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the, that's another interesting thing is, and you know, we we really try not to have um, all white guys as guests on the podcast. Uh, we, I really just don't like the stereotype that you know, if you like this book, mm-hmm. it's like lit, lit bro, you know, culture and literature. And like, you're part of the problem. It's just a punchline. We saw this thing in the New Yorker that came out the other <laughs> yes. day about like how to read infinite jest. It was in shouts and murmurs and yep. it was, I guess, supposed to be funny, but like one of the entries in it was like, get so inspired that you become a successful writer and then use the proceeds to start like a Wallace foundation or society. And I was like, I already done all of this. Like it's not really, I'm not a successful writer, but like actually we did start a Wallace society. Like what was a joke to her was like, I was like, it's just the Matt Booker experience. My life is a punchline. And it's like, in a way I try to like, just not think about that. Like, I, I don't really know. Um, how to avoid it other than like what we've done, which is like the Wallace Society most successfully has only posted stuff that is about diversity and about race and gender and Mm -hmm. sexuality and like how, um, you know, give us some advice, Esther. Like what, what else should we do to, to, I don't know, be better? Um, well, just like from the podcast standpoint keep inviting start there yeah i mean just keep inviting people that have different perspectives like i would love to hear these people who dislike um you know certain sections of infinite jest because of the way they portray let's say a racial or ethnic minority Mm -hmm. i would love to to have someone who really truly enjoyed the book or finds merit in the work to come and have a debate about that um so i mean like as much as you can hot seat situation i like um (laughs) well i don't know i mean you know hearing those perspectives Mm -hmm. um you know i would be interested i like i would be interested in hearing about um you know people that just feel that it could have been done differently or maybe people who you know just disagree but represent Mm -hmm. you know uh uh, a type of person that was in uh, represented in that book. Like yeah. if you could find someone that was hideously deformed, 
and wanted to come and talk about <laughs> Wallace's treatment of hideously deformed people. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would be totally fascinating. <laughs> I don't, you know, good luck with that. Um, <laughs> I would say keep, you know, keep writing about it and keep being open to having those conversations, even if they're not on the podcast, but on Twitter, mm-hmm. on the blog, at conferences. I think that's important. And the people that want to find that information will obviously find it and have something more to think about. But, mm-hmm. you know, I think you do the right thing by not sort of either arguing about it or ignoring it. I mean, and we're, if you're listening to this and you do have a different perspective, like reach out to us, get in touch, <laughs> get in part of the conversation. And if I mean, that's one yeah, thing. Yeah, because if you're listening, concavity. you've got to care, right? <laughs> Absolutely. And it's one thing I, I love about you on Twitter is that like you're part of the conversation because you jump in and like you can just reach out to people and say what you think. And like, I think just being part of the conversation, however, you know, that evolves is like one of our goals. Um, and even beyond the podcast, right? Like broadly, um, just with Wallace being part of the cultural conversation, which he still is if the New Yorker's writing things about him, right? Exactly. And putting it in there. He still is this like shorthand for something. And sometimes those, uh, I don't know, critiques land better than others. Mm -hmm. Um, But I feel like almost everyone we've had on the podcast is uh, looking at him in some critical way Mm -hmm. or, and it's really like a filter through which you can process a lot of your own ideas. I mean, have you felt like that? Oh, absolutely. I have learned so much from listening to the people that talk on this podcast, just oh, look. I met Wallace. Not not trying to brag about. Oh my podcast, no, I will brag about this. Oh. Well, okay, we can talk about that, but I want to do brag about the podcast because I've been. Oh golly! You know, I have been. You know, gotten the opportunity to listen to critiques as well as analysis from people that are just you know at such a high level that it's almost over my head. Last month's person, I was like, wow. Uh, You know, what I don't know about literature, you know, is just so, so stark. So, I mean, mean, it's just, it was really awesome for me to hear someone that has that expertise talk about something that I'm very familiar with and that I love and Mm. and expanding my way of looking at it. So, I mean, that's that's a really good thing. But what, what did you mean with your question that I misinterpreted to I, brag about your I, podcast that I love so much. No, I just, I just meant like, uh, you know, that, that we're able to have these conversations around his work because maybe the work itself is a big enough filter where we can get all of these different, even dissenting views in there. But now that you've brought up podcasts in general, uh, I feel like I've learned a lot about other podcasts and discovered other podcasts from by following you. So I want to talk, just briefly, if you could give us a breakdown of like what you love about the forum, which other, I know you're a big fan of like uh, the Max Fun Con crew, like mm, yes. give us a breakdown of like how you discovered them and like what you're a huge fan of like podcasts, right? Oh, I love podcasts. I just love oh. podcasts. Just, I used to love radio. I mean, I'm old enough to have loved radio and I spent, I'm an only child of two working parents and I spent a lot of time with books, newspapers, TV and radio because that was what came into my house. So I just adore podcasts. So I was, um, I was reading 
the uh, CJR newsletter, which I get, the Columbia Journalism Review. And there was this little blurb at the bottom saying that they were doing this podcast hosted by this guy named Jesse Thorne. And I was like, what? Who is this guy? I've never heard of this guy. And I was like, well, let's see what this podcast from the CJR is all about. And it was basically just interviews of really incredible journalists. And the person that did it, his name's Jesse Thorne. And sort of at the end of it was a limited run podcast. He was like, well, I'm part of the Max Fun um, podcast network. And I was like, well, what is that? You know, I, I didn't know. So I went on and I and I found these podcasts. And that's how I found Jordan Jesse Go and Judge John Hodgman. And um, let's see, Bullseye, which is another one that I really love. Um, Bubble show. show. Yeah, the, whole, the, bull, the Bullseye, mm-hmm. the whole show. And I just... I just loved it. So I just started like listening to every single episode. And that's how I sort of got into the Max Fun podcast. Now, they will sometimes do podcasts with other people. So Jordan Jesse went on to Hello from the Magic Tavern this summer to sort of do, um, they were promoting their new podcast bubble. And like I fell in love with Hello from the Magic Tavern. So I'm making my way through all of Hello from the Magic Tavern. And then there's a little spinoff show that they did called Hey Riddle Riddle, which is all about thought lateral thinking puzzles and riddles. And I fell in love with that. In addition to all these other podcasts that I already listened to, the long form, on the Casual media, Birder. The Casual Birder, yes. Birding, like Did friends get you onto that one a, too? No, absolutely <laughs> not. No, actually, I met the lady that does the casual birder. Um, she is a fan of the Max Fun podcasts, and we sort of met online talking about our, you know, our love for Judge John Hodgman and a lot of the Max Fun podcasts. And I've always liked birds casually, and I sort <laughs> of got into her. Uh, you know, I got into her podcast, so I'm I'm really in, into that now. So, and of course, you know, Malcolm Gladwell has an amazing podcast, and Katie Couric does a really great job with her podcast. And of course, on the media as a journalist, I listen to the on the media podcast, and I listen to the Columbia Journal Journalism Reviews podcast, and the Brookings Institutions podcast. I mean. I literally have my earbuds in at every possible moment. So Matt asked you earlier, how do you have time for all the books and then all the shows? But then you just really ramped it up for us even more. So yeah, so I'm (laughs) the plot thickens. (laughs) I mean, you're an omnivore, Esther. Yeah, and it's really annoying for my family because I'll be in the kitchen making dinner, and then you know somebody will be like hello, I'm talking to you. And then I'll be annoyed because like somebody interrupted Usador's, you know, introduction of himself as the wizard of the fifth realm of Ephesius. And I'll be like, what, what do you want? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so it's like, really, it's not the best thing. I, I try to not laugh maniacally too much, but mm-hmm. I do. So I'm just, I'm annoying to my family. I've, I've come to, you know, just embrace that. Well, I, you know, I discovered the Jesse Thorne stuff a long time ago through the um, Metafilter. I was really big into Metafilter mm. around like 2006, 2007, 2008. And like all of those guys, John Hodgman, all of them were, had accounts there. And so like whenever Jesse Thorne published his first like radio show, 
I got a lot of attention on there. And uh, I, I used to listen to a whole different crop of podcasts back then that don't exist anymore. Um, and there was a really great one um, called Film Spotting that that had uh, three hosts in around 12 years ago. Um, oh, wow. And then Jesse Thorne had uh, his tagline for a while was like America's Radio Sweetheart. Oh, it's I don't know on Jordan Jesse Go. Is, he's still America's still Radio says Sweetheart. That. Yeah. America's Radio it, Sweetheart. It's still ironic. Uh, that, he still knows. That was he's, from the very beginning. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The Sound of Young America. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Exactly. That was his first one, right? Sound yeah, of Young America. Yeah. And he and Jordan were doing that in college. Like, yeah. they've been doing it for, I mean, it's been what almost twelve years, and that's over what I was going to say about five hundred episodes of Jordan Jesse Go. So yeah, wow. Yeah. Um, so I mean, I listen then, to a lot of hard journalism and crazy, funny, just ridiculous rated R stuff that you know, <laughs> like, is not it's entertaining. Right? Yeah, it's just super entertaining. So I, you know, I get half and half, right? So half of it is like stuff that I should know and stuff that's good for me, my vegetables. <laughs> and vegetables. then, you know, my, my junk food is the other stuff that I listen to. So I do try and balance. So are you saying that we need to have more swearing on our show, Esther? <laughs> no, not necessarily. More toilet you know, humor what, and the like. <laughs> it's very we can go jarring. There. It's very jarring when you get used to a podcast being a certain way and Mm -hmm. then the host decide to go in a different direction. Mm -hmm. I have another podcast that I I won't name and I love this podcast. And uh, ever since President Trump got into office, the host of this podcast is just like F-bombing all the time he's just infuriated totally warranted and totally understandable but i'm just like i cringe every time i hear her drop the f-bomb and i'm like oh but you're this respected person that you know (laughs) used to be like pbs quality you know and now Mm -hmm. i have to hear you say like all these swear words and i feel kind of icky about it (laughs) but you know but you do you you know if you want to swear you go for it i I will stick with you (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, Thanks, Esther. The, we we had a lot of debate at first if we had one f bomb. Do we have to put that explicit tag on there? And Dave said yes. So some of our some of our podcasts do say explicit on it, but um, we we tried to cut. I I've personally I don't tried remember to cut back any explicit bit. stuff. Huh. Yeah, Dave could probably tell you which time code oh. on the file. <laughs> yeah, I think it's like I read the iTunes uh, terms of service for if you're putting a podcast on, and I think it's it's like yeah, if you have you know a certain list of words, you have to put that that episode is explicit. So I think oh, about half of our episodes are. You know that could, but I, I want to give one more shout out to a, a podcast that uh, I think we both like, which is Zigzag Pod. Yes, um, Manoush Samarodi and Jen Point. So, yeah, Manoush, um, there's uh, there's a Wallace connection here, which is that really? uh, Zigzag is on a civil platform. Yes, and that is also our friend of the pod, mm-hmm. Maria Bustillos. Yeah, popular. Maria. Popula is also on the civil platform mm-hmm. and Maria has been, you know, she is a, a Wallace critic and writer herself has written a lot of influential pieces mm-hmm. on Wallace yeah, and has been my friend for like over a decade and over two decades. I've known Maria forever oh, wow. and is like actual good friend of mine who's done some um, stuff here in Austin. And uh, after Wallace died in 2009, I produced a, 
memorial for him at a salvage vanguard theater and um maria came and was one of the speakers and she did this thing about like nabokov and the ice queen and wallace and it was like she's never i don't know maybe she published it somewhere else i don't think she ever did but uh so anyways she's like a longtime wallace aficionado and expert going way back to the the very beginning when infant chess came out and oh um, i can tell from just reading her latest piece the artist mm, is the art she uh, i i, I yeah. could tell you could tell that she both loves him and can be very critical and analytical yeah. about the work which is what you want right i mean i'm not looking to always um interact with people who absolutely love every single thing he's ever written and are just mm-hmm. like acolytes. I mean, I'm a regular person. I, you know, nobody's perfect. So, you know, not every single piece of writing is going to change your life. Mm-hmm. So it's really, it's really nice to see, um, you know, someone who's that learned about a topic that can be both a fan and someone who is critical and analytical mm-hmm. about a work. Yeah. That's much more interesting. Certainly. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, and that's proof that I could bring almost any topic back to David Foster Wallace. <laughs> of course. Is, uh, a blessing and a curse. Uh-huh. Yeah, that, my, my family would agree with you on that one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, it's when you talk with anyone who's like really into one thing. Like mm-hmm. when I was in middle school, I used to talk a lot about like hardcore rap. And I felt like, <laughs> like Wu-Tang I felt like, and, and East Coast stuff? or NWA. Okay. NWA yeah. was oh, boy. So like anything... We could bring back to like hip hop lyrics, mm, rap mm-hmm. lyrics, uh, just I- anything in conversation. Yeah. That's what we were obsessed with. I had a we live and breathe. Strong with. case of this with Seinfeld in the. Uh, I'd say I still early do that 2000s. with Seinfeld. I still do as well. Yeah, but mm. certainly like tapered off. I would say after I read Infinite Jest, it kind of transitioned a little bit more towards. That. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! Well, and you're that kind of way with Netrunner. No offense. Oh yeah. Ah. No. I, I try and keep it. I try and keep it toned down as much as I can on here, but sometimes it yeah. just comes out, Matt. I'm <laughs> just just saying, if you're really into something, you can bring it back to it. Yeah. So. Speaking of which, um, I went to the World Championships in September. We haven't even talked about that at all. So. Oh my goodness. Maybe maybe the, maybe the year the year in review will will touch on that. Yeah, quickly. we'll have to we'll have to mention that. And I've been also on my mind last weekend. I was uh, moderated a panel at Texas Book Festival. Yes, yeah, that's right. right. And, so I have a lot to, to say about that mm-hmm. experience and conversation and Good deal. people I met there and things. So we'll, we'll, we'll save some of that for next month in December, maybe yeah, wrap late, up the late year. Late December, early January. Usually is oh, when we I go. can't believe it's already that time of year to talk <laughs> right. about wrap up. 2019 planning already. Mm-hmm. Oh, I bet. Um, <laughs> so I feel like we could talk to Esther about all of this stuff. Like there's so many other. She contains multitudes. And, Yeah, as she's demonstrated. Don't get me started. And if you're only going to watch one thing on TV, for Pete's sake, please watch Better Call Saul. (gasps) I love that show so much. It's so good. I got about five or six episodes in, and then for whatever reason, I just we just. Um, moved on to other things and just forgot to go back but i've been hearing go really good stuff about like the last year so oh I man to go, back. go back to it okay. yeah no it's it's definitely oh i i watched all of breaking bad twice mm-hmm. and i would say i love better call saul even more than i I've love heard, breaking i've heard bad. people say that yeah and that makes Absolutely. me truly want to watch it more 
Absolutely. Um, our daughter has this yellow rain suit. And we, there was a picture of it that came out of her daycare recently. This was before Halloween. And we kind of looked at each other and we're like, what if we, what if she goes as Walter White for Halloween? Oh, you know, boy. in the meth lab. And so we started You're like brainstorming. You're not going to regret that in a couple of years at all. <laughs> started brainstorming, you know, further ideas. And then we were like, well, she's one and a half. So do we really, <laughs> do we really yeah. want that to be the, the photo? So she went yeah. as Eeyore instead. <laughs> Oh, yeah. wow. Like the yeah. polar opposite. Yeah, yeah. It's like we could go really cute here or uh, or something a bit darker. Yes. I think we did the right thing. <laughs> well, I dressed as a playing card queen for Halloween. You did, and, and that was, I was, I was so, so excited. impressed. What an elaborate <laughs> costume that was. Because you yes. also like collect like really yes. nice See, I'm ornate you. custom playing cards. Yes. Like See, with, I have with the all furiosity crazy... that is bewildering to me. How yeah, many I packs of cards do you own? Insane. Oh, at least a hundred. I'm trying mm-hmm. to get my husband to build me like a custom set of ledges where mm-hmm. I can like display them all so that I can look at them every day instead of they're beautiful. I have them packaged. Yeah. Oh, they're yeah. gorgeous. They're what gorgeous. is the best uh, way to derive these? like highly custom art cards that you get where did where's what's the main website that you go to or oh art of play for sure art of play and they carry a lot a lot of the ones i i'd say i've gotten 95 percent of my collection from art of play and the other five percent is individual artists kickstarters Right. Yeah. So you, if you mm-hmm. go on Kickstarters and you look for playing cards, you're going to find some amazing things. I have a deck coming to me in a couple of weeks that has a custom case, and it's actually called the Esther Star deck, which I'm so oh excited because I never have anything with my name on it. And I have another one that's a moon deck that's a standard deck of playing cards, but when you riffle the deck, mm-hmm. it actually shows you a little... Um, like a illustration. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, I mean it just it shows the. I believe it shows the moon going through its phases. Cool. If you if you riffle it when it's in order, so I like, I like yeah, I'm that. so excited about that coming. So um, Christmas will come early for me, I think, because those are <laughs> scheduled to ship in the next month or so. But I think I'm probably so going to package them up and give them to myself for Christmas. Since yeah. Right. So are you playing a lot of people, cribbage with these? Like what's your main jam? No, no, not at all. No, no I don't play. No, I don't play games at all. Like oh, okay. I will play, I will play poker on Saturday night with mm-hmm. my son and his friends and my husband. Uh, we'll play rummy, which is yeah. super boring, a super boring game, but I love it. But no, I just love the artistry of it. And I love cardistry, which is the, um, it's not magic tricks. It's just um, manipulating the cards in an oh, artful yeah. way with mm-hmm. your hands. So I just, I think, just think it's a beautiful art form as opposed to really caring about, um, you know, the, the games aspect mm-hmm. of it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Uh, it's the same reason I love like collecting stamps is like a small piece of paper with art on yes. it. And like, I'm intrigued. <laughs> um, exactly. So I, I, I think I told you, I have probably like 15 or 20 decks um and some of the same ones as you do but like some just random different ones sure and like i th- i think they're just a really great format mm-hmm. i mean f- especially for people who love uh you know it's kind of infinite possibilities and it's all standardized usually same size so it's yeah. like the f- experiment with form it's really cool exactly really yeah so like you know the david foster wallace society could put out an infinite deck, deck of oh a deck God. of cards like featuring all idea. of this art that all of your contributors have made 
And it could be like, because I have tons of decks where there are 52 totally different card backs. Like mm-hmm. the card front is the same, mm-hmm. yeah. but the card back is different. And each, you know, like you get another little card in it that says who designed each one. Right. And like all of the art, the David Foster Wallace community art could be made into you know, a deck of 52 cards easily. You could sell well, that at the conference. Mm-hmm. And See, we got to be our marketing manager. Oh, this absolutely, is great. Yeah, yeah. No, I am ready with the ideas. Okay. <laughs> this is great. Wow. So, I, lo- yeah. I love that. That's, we're going to talk about that, Matt, I think. Yeah, yeah. for real. I, you know, for I, sure, I, I, I want to do that. many, many decks because I have some so, decks that I never open mm-hmm. and some decks that I, I do open. So I do have some that I've just hoarded and I haven't brought myself to open yet. So mm-hmm. I end up buying a lot of like double decks so that I can play with one and then keep one in its pristine packaging. So packaging. yeah, definitely I'd be uh, buying a brick of those. <laughs> <laughs> well, we did just print, uh, the, the society just printed pens and uh, I actually don't even have one yet. Andrea has them all yet. Oh, yeah, right they now, arrived, but hey? I want to do pen. We want to do pens. We did pens. I want to do uh, like journals and notebooks. I love oh, like sure. journals and moleskin. Oh my field gosh, notes, I collect those too. I just don't put so, them on Instagram. I have a whole so, cabinet full of them and you know, they're just there <laughs> waiting to be written in and I'm not writing in them. I'm just collecting same. them. <laughs> Same. Because they're so beautiful. And I have so many blank ones, and I'm going to buy so many more blank yes. ones uh, before the, the year is over. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Uh, so uh, so we will get to that, the cards. Um, I feel like you are, like, we could just talk all the time. I'm sure like, this we is, could. This is really great. Like, having you on the show is uh, is, is a dream for us. Like, I've really wanted to to be able to sit down with yeah. you. I hope oh, we can do it in person sometime dude. at the conference oh, or something. I'm totally coming there to this go. conference. The only reason uh, I didn't go so. last time is because I had already, like I'd already committed to going to max fun con. And so yeah. it happened at the same time. And when you guys announced that this one was going to be in July or whenever, I don't even remember what the date is, but I was like, Oh, I'm there. I am so there. So <laughs> we will we'll see each other. We'll in fact, I was going to say, if you want, if you're going to fly into O'Hare, I will drive you guys down there. Cause oh, I'll be that's driving a beautiful forward. offer. Thank you. Yeah, totally. Would it would be, be so much fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like a two hour drive or something, hour and a half. Mm, <laughs> I more. think it's probably more oh, like four? three or four. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I usually drive it um, sh- from Chicago mm-hmm. down uh, last year or this year, I should say. I did it by myself, mm-hmm. and that was not near as fun. So I like driving with a friend so that we can, you know, just Geek talk out. the whole way, just like we're doing yeah, right now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and then you stop and get like a giant bag of Cheetos and some pop, and you're like, yep. you know, eating the candy, and you know, you feel terrible the next day, but that's okay. <laughs> I, I always go to Portillo, Portillo's oh, and sure. get like a hot dog and. Um, Italian beef, mm, yeah, of and, course, or pizza. Uh, if, maybe if you can direct me to a good pizza place oh, between yeah. O'Hare and uh, <laughs> Bloomington Normal. I think there's probably a couple. That, you know, there a lot of the yeah. really good pizza chains around here, like the really classic deep dish pizza, or even the yeah. the, the thin tavern style pizza. They the exurbs have grown so much in the metropolitan area that a lot of those places have locations you know, well outside the city. So mm. that, that might actually be an option. See, I just need to get the, 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 the scoops, man. from you. That's yeah. right. You got to get your Sherpa. That's right. <laughs> your, your Chicago <laughs> pizza Sh- Sherpa. Chicago Sherpa. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. All right. Sign me up. Um, 
<laughs> is there anything? Is there anything we were going to mention at the beginning that we did not? Anything that before we wrap up that you want to talk about? No, I think we covered just about everything. I mean, you know, like I said, I have all these crazy interests that I could just go on and on and on about. And David Foster Wallace is one of my favorite ones. So I really appreciate that you've given me the opportunity to talk to two other people who love him as much as I do. Anytime is our pleasure. That's definitely, um, you know, of my varied interests, like one of the ones that's lasted the longest. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, me too. Um, Maybe we get another round of 40 more episodes. Maybe you'll come on again. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Anytime. Anytime. Okay. Cool. Thank you so much, Esther. We really appreciate um, no all, all the engagement you. and all the fun conversations we had on have on social media with you. It's been like you discovered our show this year, right? I think. Uh-huh. Yep. And the notifications just started pouring in and it was so affirming to uh to have you be a lister of our show it was such a like such a blast um, oh i just to hear felt about your so experience relieved. listening to all these different episodes because you commented yeah. on a lot of individual episodes right mm-hmm. and great. i was just so relieved to find like other people that were like me you know mm-hmm. what i mean like i didn't have any community i'm not an academic i'm not you mm-hmm. know on a campus i'm not hooked into the literary scene yeah yeah. so to just be able to hear people that have this same passion Mm -hmm. in one place it was just like super affirming for me because i'm like the only person i know that besides the people that i've browbeaten into reading this book in my (laughs) immediate family that have actually read it and enjoyed it so thank you And I I would say to anyone who's listening out there, if you listen to a podcast and you know, you're on Twitter or you're able to send an email, like tell those people that you like the show. And uh, I did this, I did this today with, uh, I've been listening to this podcast called decoder ring from slate. Mm. And uh, I really liked it. And I was like, you know, I should just go on there and tell them I like the show. And like, I'm not the kind of person who's going to sit down and write, a long review of a podcast i probably should like i should get better at it but i feel like i can give you know a one-line tweet Mm -hmm. at someone without too much thought whereas like writing a review is a little more of an obligation but we love it we need people who do that yeah um so if you have the ability and the time write a review of your favorite podcast if you don't send those people a tweet and say hey we really love your show because it really makes them feel like they're not just speaking into a void yeah oh totally totally um dave i think uh we have some upcoming yeah we have some business and then we're gonna um turn off the computers for tonight eventually (laughs) we have some up uh upcoming exciting stuff for our patreon listeners Uh, this is kind of a new thing for us but dave and i've been uh working on a couple of plans hopefully we can um be able to send our patrons something new and fun i won't spoil it but um (laughs) i want to thank them i guess we're this is where we get into the acknowledgements and the credits um our show is edited and produced by dave laird (laughs) it's also produced by you matt i'd say we co-produce it (laughs) <laughs> no, I'm just a talent. I just show up and record. Yeah, you're just here for color, Matt. I'm I'm here I don't for the really hard, even... hard scholarship, hey? So Dave does all of the post-production work on our show. And like, if there were show credits, he would get a lot of the show credits because he does all the work. It's well, grueling be, work. It is. Yeah, it, it can is. be. Yeah, it's, it's sometimes long. Uh, yep. But yeah, we want to thank our patrons so much. Uh, 
Esther, you are one of them. So thanks again, Esther. Uh, also, no, it's my pleasure. <laughs> we want to also re-mention and rethank Michelle Martin because I mentioned her last episode and her name kind of got cut off at the end because we got into how to pronounce your last name. And that oh. was not your fault, Esther, at all. It was my fault. So I just want to make sure that Michelle, Michelle Martin gets a really specific and awesome thanks. And I hung out with her recently. She was at the Parquet Court show and she's come over to Victoria for some uh, Wallace beers that we went out for last year. And so thanks, Michelle. We also want to thank uh, Becky Madison, who is a friend of ours from Portland. She came out to the conference, uh, I guess, a year and a half ago, Matt. And mm-hmm. she was just a listener of the show and, and was like kind of on the fence about it. But she kind of like you, Esther, she was like, I don't have a lot of people to talk to about this, but maybe I should come to this conference. Is that a crazy thing to drive across the country for? And we were like, mm-hmm. yeah, come do it. And she did. And so that was great. So thanks, Becky. Uh, we also want to thank Dean Jones, Brandon Douglas. And Becky won, won our um, anagram contest. That's right. She did. What was her name oh. again? You remember this, man? Snakebite Tom. Snakebite Tom. That's oh, right. That's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, real good. Uh, Dean Jones, Brandon Douglas, Samuel Patty, Michael Bates, Raul Jose Mendez, Sean Conboy, and Ben Zimmerman are all new patrons since the last episode. Thank all of you so much. Yay. We really, really appreciate it and feel uh, just really valued. And so it's really cool that you partnered with us for helping the show keep uh, keep growing. So thank you. And uh, I want to give a shout out to, you know, Robin O'Neill, who did an art. We took her artwork and made a logo out of it. <laughs> she has an amazing podcast. If you have not listened to it, it's called Me Reading Stuff. Yes. And so good. she has also uh, just released her first merch. Yeah, her shirts and her sweaters. T shirt and a sweatshirt. Yeah, I still got to get um, one of those. I got one. It's awesome. Uh, so go and support Robin. If you love her show, get a, a shirt. I think the link is on her Instagram. Yeah, that sounds um, right. Is it really soft? Part, she talked. She talked for it about is really three soft. minutes about how soft the shirts are, and so I'm. It is. Yeah. It's made by some place called Cotton, Cotton Bureau. Bureau and it's yeah. like really, really mm-hmm. soft. Mm. Really nice. That's a huge selling feature for me. I I <laughs> am very selective about the shirts that I buy based on uh, the softness or what company makes them. Like Gildan, get out of here. You're you're <laughs> sand, you're sandpaper to me. It's trash. Yeah. <laughs> um, Cotton, Cotton Bureau is probably the softest that oh I've man. found. But. Okay, sign me up. Uh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> Where can people find us, Matt, online if they want to hang uh, out? We're pretty much Concavity Show. I think if you go on Twitter, if you go on Instagram, if you go on Patreon, uh, Gmail, and Patreon, Gmail. Uh, you get Concavity Show. We're easy to find. Yeah, that's us. Uh, that's all the business I can think of. Anything else, Matt? Any final thoughts, Esther? No, I just had such a great time. Thank you. Oh, cool. It's been well, such a blast. Thanks for joining you. us really tonight. This has been oh, episode no Until next time. Until next time. There it's it is. Firing. It's firing. Yep, good. I see it. I see all the beautiful little waves going up and down. Oh, good, good.